Sandra and, and Lisa and Juanita are always there and always serving at our food pantry. But what we see is that is our ability to impact other people outside of waiting for them to come to church or waiting for them to ask for, for help. And really what we see in that, and Sandra, what I see in you is that your ability just to love people and to genuinely care for people. And there's different ways that God calls for us to do that. But as we as the church, as each one of us who is an individual Christian who makes up the body, we all have a role to fill. You have a job to do. You have something to contribute because that's what God tells us. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you so that as the church, we work together. And as we do that, we see God's blessings poured out on us, not in the way that we think that the world would have blessings poured out, but the way that God will do that for us. And that's why a lot of what I do want to talk about today are those four little letters that could be the most important letters in the alphabet, I see in you. That I see in you the ability to encourage other people. That I see in you the ability to love like Jesus loved. That I see in you the ability to have patience with those who people don't, don't want to listen to them. And that is a powerful, powerful tool for all of us as the church when we have those conversations with the people that God brings in our life every day. That's how heroes are made. That is how we become hero makers. That is how we make things not about us, but how we make things in our faith about other people as we encourage others, as we, when God leads us, we have those conversations to talk to others about the good that we see that God is doing in them and through them and sometimes in spite of them. <laughs> That's not an encouraging way to put it. I usually, when I do that, I'm talking about myself just indirectly. But when we do that, when we're willing to have those conversations with other people, when we tell them, thank you for being generous, thank you for being an encouragement to me so that I'll keep on doing the kingdom work that God has called for me to do, what I want you to do, if you have your Bible with you, read along in whatever form you may have in the Gospel of John. It'll take me a minute to get there, but um, we'll, we'll land there in the Gospel of John. In thinking about these conversations that we can have to encourage other people, I want to tell you a little bit about um, Derwin Gray. He's a former star football player, and he played for about six years in the NFL. And after that, um, Derwin, I'll tell you his story, but he grew up in Texas, and here's a, a quote that he gave. And after he talked about how powerful that he knows that an I see in you conversation was in his life that came from other people. Duran said this, he said, growing up on the east side of San Antonio, I believed in God, the God of football. And he said that with a lowercase g in there. He says, it took two hero makers in his life, his high school football coach and one of his teammates in the NFL to stir him on to a genuine faith following after Jesus. Derwin went on to say this about his high school football coach. He said, coach saw in me what I couldn't see in myself. And that's what the best leaders do. They look into the soul of a person and they see, I see what you could be. And it's my job to help you become that. Since 2010, after his NFL career ended, Derwin Gray has been, Gray has been the, the lead pastor at Transformation Church, which is just outside of, of Charlotte, North Carolina. And they're doing phenomenal things. And you guys thought your preacher was cool. Their preacher is a former NFL player. I mean, he's definitely got me beat by a little bit. 
or a lot. But what he did and what he told his story is that my coach said to me, he says, I see in you the ability to be something greater. And it wasn't just to go on to play college football at a high level. It wasn't just to go on from there to play in the NFL. But he saw what he could become as a man. He saw what he could become as a follower of Jesus. And it's those conversations that people have that you are to have with the people that God brings into your life that make a difference. And that oftentimes, when we're paying attention, that they make the biggest eternal difference. Now, you may know there's plenty of big events that are happening this week. It's a busy time. It's always a busy time, seemingly, in our lives, but especially so this week. Maybe you'll see some family you haven't seen in a while. Maybe you'll see some family you wish you hadn't seen in a while. But you're going to be around people. And what I encourage you for you to do as you're around friends, you're around other people, I encourage you to look for opportunities to have an I see in you conversation about your faith and about someone else's faith and about Jesus with them. And I want you to encourage those that you see. I want you to be very careful. I want you to pray this week, and I want you to ask God to show you how and when you're to have that conversation with other people, and it might seem insignificant to you, but it could mean the entire world to them. And what we will see on this journey of becoming hero makers, of elevating other people in their face so that the kingdom of God is expanded so that more people come to know Jesus, there's lots of opportunities that we have. Now, of the big events that are going on this week, there's three of them. You probably just thought there were two, but there were three. In fact, today, somebody has a really, really big birthday. Today, Mickey Mouse turns 90 years old. Did you know that? Mickey Mouse is 90 years old. There have been all kinds of uh, extravagances for Mickey Mouse this week, and Disney's celebrating and having birthdays for the mouse this week. But did you know that Walt Disney planned to name his mouse, not Mickey, but Mortimer? Mortimer Mouse? That wouldn't work. Thankfully, Walt Disney was married, and his wife had more sense than he did. Some of you guys can relate to that. But his wife, Lillian, felt like that name was too pompous and advised against it, not Mortimer Mouse. So on November the 18th, 1918, Steamboat Willie debuted in New York as the first animated film synchronized to music in Mickey Mouse, not Mortimer. Mickey Mouse was launched to start him. And what we see is that small decisions, seemingly anyway, can have enormous impact. Now, you guys think that we'd be talking about Mortimer Mouse today? It's kind of iffy. I'm not so sure about that. But he said he changed the name, and so Mickey was much more approachable. See, these small decisions that might seem insignificant in our lives can have these enormous returns. In fact, our friends, well, maybe at the end of the week, we won't think they're our friends, but last year, Stovetop Stuffing Company, they, the maker of Stuffing Mix, they, stole, they sold what they called Thanksgiving Day pants, Thanksgiving dinner pants. They had this great big huge cummerbund on them, and they sold them for $20, and they said they wanted people to be comfortable while they were eating, so you can have as much stovetop stuffing as you want. So they sold them for $20, and they had a waistband that was about this wide, and they said they expand to double the width of the size because they just wanted to make sure people were comfortable and could eat all of the stuffing that they wanted. <laughs> That's probably not a good idea. Maybe you're thinking, those sound like some pretty good eating pants. I might have to see if somebody still has some of those. They're not quite as, as restrictive. 
Because really what happens, the average American, some say anyway, will eat about 1,000 more calories than we normally do on Thanksgiving. You might think, well, I want to be above average. I'm going to destroy that. Instead of eating 4,500 calories, I'm going to go for about 6K. I'm going to do a 6K on Thanksgiving. Anybody else want to do that with me? 6,000 calories. <laughs> Let's just get it. Let's do that. But that's an awful lot of calories to take in, and in fact, that's probably a 1,000 more than most people normally take in on a day. And in fact, you might think, well, that's not possible, and that same person that breaks stuff, um, it's also, most people probably underestimate the calories that we take in by about 500. So you might say, no, I don't take in 3,500 calories a day. We'll round up by about 500 and I don't, I'm just going to run away from all these speakers that are popping at me. It's talking about overeating on Thanksgiving. I think I need to stop. <laughs> I think that's what it is. <laughs> so this is what I need to not need not to talk about. In fact, not to be outdone, Pringles they came up with a special chip that they sold this year, and it it completely sold out in 41 minutes. Their special edition Thanksgiving dinner chips. Their flavors were there was a turkey flavor Pringles, a stuffing flavored Pringles, and a pumpkin pie flavored Pringles. Now, most of us are probably going, that's gross, but most of us would probably try it if somebody had one at our house. But you're right, that does sound nasty. But sometimes we make poor choices. But in in case you feel like you missed out, if you weren't one of the people that bought some of those special Pringles this year, they're going to auction some off on eBay on Giving Tuesday, which is that Tuesday following Thanksgiving. So if you really feel like you missed out on those special edition Pringles and you're not the person that went, ew, and you're like, I really want those. Tuesday on Giving Tuesday, you can, you can buy some of those. But what I want us to look at, and I'm going to turn into the Gospel of John. I didn't forget, and maybe I'll make at least some sort of loose connection to this other crazy stuff that I'm talking about today, is that what we're going to see is that how John saw Jesus, this way that John the Baptist, John's cousin, interacted with Jesus, how he learned about Jesus and how he learned from Jesus by being in his presence and being around him and seeing Jesus. And we don't want to put stuff off too much, but um, let's see, John, John chapter 1, I'm going to start reading it in verse 19. There's kind of three sections of this that I want to cover. I'm not going to do this whole second half of the chapter, but I, but I do want to read this. Gospel of John, verse 19, the very first chapter. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet the Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, if we pause there for just a moment, and we know here in John's life that he is preparing the way. They say, who are you? They say, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? They're asking him, are you Moses who has come back to us? And he says, no. 
I'm not. Well, then who are you? Everyone is asking about you. You have this following. You kind of do weird things. That's what the Bible tells us John the Baptist did. He didn't kind of live the life that other people in his day did. And they're trying to figure out who John was. And he said, there's one who's coming after me, and I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. And that is the one that you need to look out for. And it tells us where these things took place. It continues on in verse 29. And then he saw Jesus. Think about that for just a minute. John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. He's known about him. God has taught John who the Messiah would be and what he would be like. But John had the opportunity before Jesus is performing all of his miracles, before Jesus goes to the cross, before Jesus fulfills the plan that God had for them, John had the opportunity to not just prepare the way, but to see Jesus coming right behind him. And he saw Jesus, and his, he knew that he couldn't give up on his mission. All right, verse 29 again. See if I can read the whole thing this time. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And if we pause there in our Bibles, there for just another minute, at least three, maybe four times here in the text again, we have John telling us, John, the beloved disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, but John telling us about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, and sometimes we get confused in the Bible because they had some of the same names, just like so many of us know many different people with the same name, so it's not that confusing to us anyway. But what we see is that John, he, he knew of Jesus. He saw Jesus come, and he recounts the, the story where he, John, baptized Jesus and the Spirit came down and dwelt on Jesus, and he could see that, and he could see the ministry of Jesus and how it was different, how John was impacted by Jesus because he spent time around him. And what we do is that we come across people who are making these enormous differences in life. We can't help but be challenged by them. Back towards the end of September, in the very beginning of our Hero Maker series, we talked about how we are to see like a hero maker does, how we're to see other people, not for what they are, but for who God created them to be how we can have and how we see all throughout Scripture these I see in you conversations all over the place. That we see, I, I talked about from Acts chapter 9 at the end of September when I talked about us seeing like hero makers, that, that Paul and Ananias, and Ananias who gave Paul back his vision when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus and he was converted and became the best evangelist that we have ever known. Or other people like Barnabas after Saul was converted, that Barnabas spoke up on his behalf and told the other believers that you can trust him. Yeah, he was a rotten dude, but he is genuinely converted now. And what we see is that when we see in other people what God has created them to be, 
oftentimes an enormous difference that we can make in their life is that if we just speak that, not speak it into existence, not some kind of hocus pocusy faith thing, but that when we see how God has gifted others, the Christians around us, to serve and to love and to care and to be compassionate and to be generous and to be thoughtful and to be kind with other people. When we see others that God has instilled in them a great vision to help reach more people so that more people will know that they are loved because their bellies are full. So that more people will know that they are loved because people are willing to not talk about themselves in the conversation but really being willing to listen to other people. But what we see is that there's this ability that God instills within us to encourage those that are around us. For those of us that are believers, and I feel like I mentioned this a lot lately, and that's okay because it's true, is that we are to sharpen one another. We are to be better members of the body of Christ because we are together a part of the church. And we're to help one another. We're to look for one another, look for ways how we can encourage one another. We're to look at other people and say, I see in you the ability to do things that maybe nobody in your family has ever done before. I see in you the ability to overcome obstacles that you thought would be a part of your life forever, but God in you, your life can and it will be changed. Or maybe for some of you, I see a really practical opportunity this week. I see in you the ability to save a lot of money this week. Let me explain what I'm talking about. With Black Friday coming up this week, many of you are maybe thinking, man, all these once-of-a-lifetime opportunities, all these deals that we can buy, but it's important, and I think that you need to know this, on average, those early bird shoppers spend about $370 more in this Christmas season because they go out and get all these deals of a lifetime. So I see in you the ability to, to save money, not by sending money because that is just garbage. Don't ever say that. You're not saving all this money by spending. That's where the Kohl's receipt lies to you, anybody? Ever shopped at Kohl's? You're like, you saved this much money. No, I didn't. I spent this much money because your prices are ridiculous. But that's neither here nor there. Don't tell my sister I said anything bad about Kohl's. I'll be in trouble. Okay. But those Black Friday shoppers that go out spend on average about $370 more this Christmas season. So for you, I want to encourage you, I see in you the ability to save money. Just stay home. <laughs> don't go out. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. 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 No, no, don't shop at home either. That makes it even worse. <laughs> makes it even worse as I pull up my phone and I order something on Amazon. I'll be at my house in 15 minutes. <laughs> But what we see in Scripture all over the place, and hopefully what you see in your life is that you can look back like Derwin Gray did to his high school football coach and to his teammate in the NFL who unashamedly just walked around after games and he got out his Bible and he looked at people and he says, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you Jesus. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me read you his story. Let me tell you about my faith and why it is so important. The ability that we have to encourage other people. These abilities that we see in others. I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole rest of the chapter, but I do want to read one more section out of John and see if I can talk louder than my tw nearly 20-month-old. I can. I can. Hi. Oh. Oh. Bye, baby. I was about to say somehow that's probably my fault. <laughs> Just kidding, that's not how we operate in my family. Like, that's, that's not how that works. Oh, man. It's just, all right, John, John verse 35, is that where I stop? All right, I can't go wrong reading scripture. Okay. 
The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and he walked by him and he said, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus, and he was Simon. He was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, as a footnote. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's a title that he has. Christ means Messiah. Messiah is the anointed one. So we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, verse 42. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which in Aramaic, which is what a lot of them spoke. Those are the Greek and the Aramaic words that mean rock. And that's what maybe you and I take for granted if we've been around the church for a little bit or we've read the Gospels or we know some of the stories is that later on, Jesus is talking to Peter. He is talking to Cephas, whose name means rock, and Jesus gave him this name, and he says, upon this rock I will build my church. That Peter saw, that John, that Jesus saw something in Peter so much so that he changed what he was called. He changed his name to be reflective of who he would become. In fact, I heard it shared this week as I was listening through a sermon that two of the leading sociologists in our country wrote a book, and they say that most people will become what the most important in their life thinks that they are says most people in this life will become what the most important in their life thinks they are or sees them as. Because oftentimes those that we love and that we care for the most, the way that they view us impacts who we become. They impact what we think about ourselves. They impact how we act. They impact how we hold ourselves. And I find that to be true with how Jesus dealt with Peter. He saw in him the ability to be something great where everyone else around would have said, oh, they're just fishermen. Yeah. When Jesus is born, the angels decide to announce his birth to the shepherds, the outcasts, the people that nobody wanted to be, and they kind of took the work that they did for granted. Shepherds? Really? God saw in them the ability to do something great. Jesus said to Peter, I see in you the ability to be strong. I see in you the ability to lead. I see in you the ability to do great things. He said, I see stability in you. Maybe for you, what you need is someone to have an I see in you conversation with you so that you can feel that you can know that you do have worth and that you do have value and that you do have something that you can add to the kingdom. But I encourage you to turn your eyes to others this week. Don't miss the opportunity that I know our Father will give you to have a conversation with someone else to encourage them. To build them up. Not so they turn around and they give you a compliment too, but so that they really are encouraged. 
by the investment that you have in their life. In this Thanksgiving season, it'd be important and I think helpful for us to just tell you a little story about Dallas Willard. Dallas died in, in 2013. If everyone wants your brain to hurt about reading something about Jesus, read a Dallas Willard book. Jeff can attest to that <laughs> and some others. Like his material, it's just really thick, but it's really, really good. It's not one of, well, you may be able to. I don't read all that fast. I read fine, but it's not swift. But Willard's books are really, really good, but they're really, really, really dense in a good way. He taught philosophy for 48 years at the University of Southern California. His insights on spiritual formation have been read by millions through his award-winning books. And after battling stage four cancer, he finished his life on May 8th, 2013. And Dallas Willard's two last words, this enormous giant in the faith, his two last words on this planet were thank you. Thank you. Perhaps if you could choose your last words. I wonder how careful we would be with them. For Dallas Willard, just based on what I know about him, having never met him, but knowing his life, and as Eugene talk, Peterson talks about uh, uh, faithfulness, a long obedience in the same direction, Dallas Willard lived that out. And as an overflow of who he was and what he believed about Jesus and his investment in the kingdom and other people, he couldn't help with his last breath but say, thank you. What I can see in Dallas Willard is gratitude. Hopefully what I can see in you is gratitude. Hopefully what you see in me is gratitude and thankfulness. November the 7th of this year would have been Billy Graham's 100th birthday. Instead of his 100th birthday here, it was his first birthday in the life to come. In 1996, when Billy Graham received the Congressional Gold Medal, he accepted his acceptance speech, included concerns about our country's sad state of affairs, and he gave this poignant insight. He said, we have confused liberty with license, and we're paying the awful price. We've confused liberty with license, and we're paying the awful price. Or, perhaps another way, just because we can, doesn't mean we should. Just because we want to, doesn't mean we ought to. The purpose of Thanksgiving is for us to express gratitude for our liberty, not freedom to practice to do whatever we want. And what we should strive to do is to be an encouragement to those that are closest to us. Now, we can take that for granted and say, I'll have another opportunity. But you all know just as well as I do, that opportunity may not come. So as we look for opportunities this week to look to others, that we say, I see in you God's mercy extended to others. That I see in you the love of God shared with other people. That I see God's designing you to love and to care compassionately and deeply and authentically for other people. 
I see in you the ability to pray for others. I see in you the ability to give generously to the kingdom. I see in you the ability to be faithful. And for that, I am grateful. When you see these gifts that God has given his children and others, it is an enormous encouragement when we talk about those, when we encourage other people, when we brag on them a little bit about not what they have done, but what God has done through them. And we become an enormous encouragement to others. And this season, I mean, honestly, we do a pretty good job being thankful and looking to others. But may that work as a catalyst and as a springboard that we continue to do that year round. Make it not about us, but it's about who God wants to raise up in the faith and in the kingdom because I am a part and somebody else invested and poured into me, into us, and into you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Father, I am grateful. God, I pray that we pause to really genuinely express that to you in the midst of the busyness and the travel and the joy of, of getting opportunities to see family and maybe just catch our breath a little in life. And Father, I pray that you instill in us this desire to encourage, to build others up. God, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of their family, for the sake of their life, for the sake of their emotional health, for the sake of everything that has to do with them. God, may we invest in others because others have invested into us. Father, we know we are not made to live life alone or isolated. God, I pray that we live this life well. And God, that we are grateful, not just in a passing comment that we make or not just a couple weeks a year in a season, but God, that you instill in us gratefulness and that we offer thanksgiving to you for your many blessings. God, again, I pray, as I have already a couple times today, Father, I pray that you help us to recognize the things that you have blessed us with, the things that we do have. May we not focus on the things that we lack. Father, you've provided us what we need. God, we are grateful for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.